Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 166 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 11th of February 2018, entitled Two Eternal Abodes, A Place Called Hell, Part 5. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bible to... Matthew chapter 8 this morning, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. Now, you need to have your your flipping fingers ready or your iPad finger going on your tablet or whatever uh, because we're we're going to be looking at a lot of of scriptures this morning, and I trust that they will be able to to speak to your heart. And, of course, as we continue in our study of looking at the uh, the two eternal abodes, uh, heaven and hell. Uh, we recognize that, uh, uh, that each and every individual, when they leave this world, they're going somewhere. It doesn't finish at the grave. And we have been looking in these recent weeks uh, at the eternal abode of hell. We began with, uh, with heaven and we have uh, progressed to, uh, to this. Let's take our scripture reading this morning, and then we will try to, uh, uh, to pick up where we, uh, where we left off and trust and pray that uh, God will speak to our hearts. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, I'd like to begin reading in verse 5, reading down through verse 13. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy and perfect word. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this time that we have around your word and with the spirit that lives and dwells within us. Please, Lord, speak to our hearts that which we need, and we give you truly the thanks, the honor, the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. So as we begin to look at this place that is called hell, We've looked at four different words that are translated as hell in our Bible. The first in the Old Testament from the Hebrew word Sheol, which is the counterpart in the New Testament to Hades, 
which is that immediate place of abode for those that leave this world unprepared to, to meet God. We said that it's both immediately when we leave this earth, but it is an intermediate state. It's not where they're going to be for eternity. And we've, we've looked at those things. We looked at the one of the word Tartarus, which is the place that was reserved where the angels were kept unto judgment. But all three of these first are places that are temporary places that people go. The question was asked again this morning about those saints that die. Well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paradise and Hades are no longer in the same place where you can see from one to the other. Jesus has now paid the sin debt. Those Old Testament saints were, were set free. They were able to go into heaven. And I believe now, though they don't have their new body yet, that they are conscious there as a soul because that bears out with the Scriptures that we have looked at. But as we looked at those things, then we, we moved on to this fourth word that is translated as hell in our Bibles. And we said that of the times that, uh, of the 23 times that the word hell is used in our King James Bibles, one time was from that word Tartarus, 10 times from the word Hades, 12 times uh, are from this word Gehenna. 11 of those were spoken by Jesus Christ himself. The other one was spoke of the place called Gehenna outside the gates of, of Jerusalem, was spoken by James in showing the, the danger of our tongues when used in the wrong way. So of those 12 New Testament references to the place called Gehenna, 11 of them was Jesus using that horrible place that we talked about last week. We talked about that it was the most horrible sight that could could be visualized in this word to describe the place that he was talking of people going. We found that as we looked in the Scriptures, we looked at those Scriptures of all of those places that used the word uh, Gehenna to describe them. I want to move you on this morning as we have looked at those things. You see, Gehenna is not the only word that describes hell, and it's not the only place in Scripture that we find descriptions of this place. It is vitally important for us to understand uh, what Jesus describes to us as this awful place. Gehenna was that place, the worst place that Jesus could use to picture the eternal abode. This is what Gehenna is different. We've seen that Hades is the temporary place, but Gehenna, after they are raised from Hades, we will see those scriptures as we move through here that Hades itself will be cast into the lake of fire. We'll take this picture that we have and we'll try to, to build upon it. You see, scriptures speak of this place even in places where that the word Gehenna is not used Christ gives us some very explicit explanations, descriptions of this place we called hell. We find this interesting in the first passage that we read this morning here in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, that this teaching comes out in the midst of this centurion coming to Jesus and actually asking on behalf of one of his servants that he wants them to, to be healed because they are sick. They are ill. 
And the Lord says that he'll heal him. But then he says, well, you don't even have to come. He, all he, he has this faith to believe that all Jesus has to do is say the word, and this one will be healed. And Jesus speaks of his faith. I haven't seen this kind of faith in, in all of Israel that believes in Jesus this much. And, of course, it's from that that he gives us this explanation of all those, of course, that have that faith. All those will have the opportunity of sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's contrasting these two places. There are those that because of their faith, they'll have a place in heaven with those that have gone on before. But in verse 12, he says, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We've said there are many that do not believe in the reality of this place. Well, I want to say to you this morning that the only way that I want you to leave here today not understanding the reality and the awfulness of this place that you're going to have to disagree with Jesus. It doesn't really matter if you disagree with me, but it matters greatly if you disagree with him. Jesus is the one that is speaking here, and Jesus is the one that says, there are those that will go to the kingdom of heaven, but there are also those that will be cast into outer darkness. It's the two choices. There's always only these two choices. And he says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's two of the descriptions that Jesus uses of this place that is the alternative of heaven. We find that if you turn just a few pages further in your Bible, in, in, in chapter 13, that Jesus once again speaks of this place. Notice in Matthew chapter 13, picking up in verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitudes away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, keep in mind, prior to this, Jesus has been giving these parables, and one of the ones that he's given is this one of the sowing of the good seed, and the good seed that brought forth fruit, and the tares that came up that were just imitations of that. Now that the others have gone, the disciples said, Lord, could you please explain to us what you meant by that? that story of the, of the wheat and the tares? Verse 37, he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. All the seeds have been sown. Everything that's come up, it's either real or it's a tear. One is the children of God, the child of God, the child, the child of, of, of the Lord himself. The other, the child of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, this is a natural thing in this world. When you separate the wheat from the tares, you gather up the tares, and he says, are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of the world. I'm giving you a picture in this life of the wheat and the tares. 
And when the hardest time comes, which he says is the end of the world, you know, it's the devil that's sown the seeds for the tares, but it's the Lord that's sown the good seed for the wheat. In the end, they're going to be separated. And he says, just like that you burn the, the tares here that's of no good, they'll be burning the fire. So shall it be in the end of this world, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. Remember, in the first place, it all belongs to God. But he's going to gather out of all that's here the things that offend, the things which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's only two ways. Everybody's being planted. This earth, this world that is here, everybody's coming from some kind of a seed. Everybody belongs to one of two people. Kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan. He says in the end of the world when the harvest is being taken, the wheat and the tares are going to be separated. And just as the tares in this life are burned up in the fire, at that time, the tares will be burned up, he says, in a furnace of fire. This is how he is describing that place at the end. Remember, everything that we've seen about Gehana so far, Gehana is the place at the end of the world. It's the eternal abode. This is most definitely at the end of the world that he's talking about this. They will be, he says, there will be gnashing of teeth. Of course, we find as we begin to look at these descriptions that so far, Hades and Gehana, there's not a lot of difference. There is the gnashing of teeth. There is the darkness. There is the fire. All of these things that Jesus is describing here. And, of course, as those that are separated that are put into the furnace of fire then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. There's two choices, folks. There's two places. There's two eternal abiding places where everybody is going to be. In verse 40 here, he says, those that don't belong to him, they're going to be burned up in the fire, just like the tares here. In verse 42, he says, they'll be cast into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth that come down. He talks about the mystery of the hid treasure and the pearl. But notice what he says in verse 47. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered every kind. I don't know how many of you have ever done fishing in the sea with nets, or maybe you've seen it. But he said, again, the kingdom of heaven, he says, picture this net that's being cast into the sea and when it comes back in, there can be all kinds of fish in there. Big fish, little fish, good fish, bad fish. He says in verse 48, Which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels to cast the bad away. He says it's like when you put that net in and you bring them all up and you bring up the good and the bad and everything together, but then there comes the sorting time. When you put the good into a vessel to keep, and you cast the bad ones away, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked 
from among the just. The wicked and the just are going to be separated and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Folks, this is not a nice picture, but this is the real picture. There are still the division that's taking place. There's a place for those that belong to God and those that don't. This place that's being described for those that don't is an awful place, again, being described here as a furnace of fire and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Look over just a few chapters more in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, So Jesus is going to use this earthly illustration again to teach them something in the spiritual realm. He says in verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. May I say to you today that the bidding has gone forth, but just as it is here, there are many that won't come. And again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Remember, the invitation is going out. Those are being invited to come to the marriage. They're the ones that are choosing not to come. They made light of it. They were invited to be there and be a part of the marriage. But he says, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. They, they've heard the invitation. They know that it's been made ready for them and that they've been invited to come. They make light of it. They just go on and, and do their own thing and live their own life. Verse 6 says, and the remnant took his servants and it treated them spitefully and slew them. Not only did they refuse the invitation, but then they started treating those that, the servants that he had sent to, to bring them the invitation. They began to treat them. And may I remind you once again that as servants of the Lord in this world that are going out giving the invitation to all those that we possibly can to come to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb, to be there, to be part of the bride of Christ. There are many that not only will make light of the invitation and the message, and they'll just go about their own business, but we find that there are those that will actually spitefully use you, and in this case, even slew some of them. Folks, if you haven't read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you ought to. Not because, just like this, not because it's enjoyable reading, but we ought to realize and understand the great servants of God that have sacrificed all they could sacrifice in this world so that you and I could be here this morning and have the freedoms and have the truths that we have. Many have paid that price. There are many of them that were the ones that there were the servants that were out there giving the invitation to this world. Please come. But they made light of it. And some of them even went to the point to slay the servants that came. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. 
And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Believe me, there is a battle like none that's ever taken place before that's going to take place on this earth as well. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. This bothered me one time. Early in my ministry, I started trying to, you know, when, when Jesus sent them out two by twos into the world, one, one of the things when we begin to read there is he sent them to those that were worthy. He sent them to those that were worthy. He's sending, he's sending his followers out. He sends out the 70s. He sends them out. He's sending them to those. I said, well, who's worthy? Who's worthy of the gospel? I mean, if we're looking at who we are, we're certainly not worthy. Our worthiness is in Christ, but he's sending them to them that are worthy, and they don't know Christ yet. He's going to invite them to know him. And I honestly believe this. I believe that God in his wisdom and God in his guidance, when he sends us to those that are worthy, it's not because they're worthy to be saved, but they're worthy to hear the gospel because he knows whose hearts are going to be willing to accept that truth. He knows who's going to make light of it. He knows who's going to make fun of you and make light of you and bring hardships against you. But he's saying, go out to them that are worthy, not because anybody's worthy to be saved, but they're worthy to hear the gospel because their hearts are willing and ready to hear and to listen and to heed to that. You say, well, how do I know that? You don't, but I'm saying, pray. God can lead you to the ones you should be trying to tell, but God can put you in the places. We find it all through the Scriptures when one must needs go this way and must needs go that way because there was somebody there that needed that truth. Let God guide your steps every day, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're at home, whatever you're doing. Pray for God to give you somebody to share that truth with that will be willing to listen. He said, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. They weren't willing to listen. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. That's still our jobs today, folks, bidding them to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. It's not our place to decide who's good and who's bad. It's so easy to set in judgment over somebody else. Well, this person will make a good Christian, and this one will never make a Christian. This one deserves to hear, and this one doesn't. That's, that's not our place. God can guide you to those that will listen, but that's not based upon how good they are or how bad they are. It's not based upon anything that they are or have been or will be. It's based upon where their hearts will open to the only hope they have, which is the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> he says, bad and the good, they brought them. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. <laughs> How are we going to have on the right wedding garment? We're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the only garment that's going to be worthy to be there. But this one didn't have on the garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in here? They're not having a wedding garment. And he was speechless. 
The Bible says there'll even be those there that'll be saying, but, but Lord, I, I've done this and, and I've done that and I've done all these things that make me worthy. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Friend, how camest thou in here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into there's that description again, outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Oh, we can go into a whole lot of things. I want to tell you this. The gospel call, the gospel message is to everyone. And it's God's desire that none should perish, that they all would come to repentance. The thing that we can't get our head around, though, we're doing it blind. We don't know what's in their heart. We don't know whether they're going to accept or not accept. Sometimes we think, I know this person will, if they could just hear, they'll do it, and they'll become a good Christian. We can think all these things, but none of us know the hearts of anybody. Many are called, but few are chosen. I know one thing about the chosen. I know that I know that those that are the elect, I know that God already knew. It's like when Jesus Christ was hanging there on the cross. I don't believe for a moment that God was saying, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay the sacrifice for that one, but I'm not not him. He's not worthy. I will for this one, but I won't for that one. I believe when he died, he wanted. You know, his, his sacrifice was for all. You know, he was a propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He died for all that would come. The thing is, is that God wasn't blind like we are. God already knew everyone that would come. God already knew who would accept and who would reject, not because he made them a robot and didn't give them a choice, but because he knows all. He's outside of time. We're looking in this time, well, how can I know something that's not going to happen till tomorrow and, and next week and next year? But God's not in those boundaries. He's not in those enclosed boxes of time that we are. And I know that the question comes up, and I realize, I realize how hard it is, and I realize how sometimes even in our own minds we're seeing these, we're saying, preacher, man, these are awful descriptions. Outer darkness, furnaces of fire, and people burning and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth because of the pain and the agony that they're in. How can a loving God have anything to do with that? Well, I hope that we'll come to that, but you've got to realize, line upon line, precept upon precept, the first thing you've got to realize and understand is that it's real. It is a real place. And God goes to great lengths to describe this place to us so that we have no excuse whatsoever when it comes to it. And so we find that these were bound, they were cast into that darkness. Now, as we move on into Matthew chapter 24, I mentioned this this morning in Bible study because Matthew chapters 24 and 25 record for us what is known as the Olivet Discourse. As Jesus, during this discourse, 
speaks specifically about the end times and some of the things to expect in those end times. He get, begins here in chapter 24, he begins with many of the specific signs that will show us those days, and though no man knoweth the day nor the hour, he gives us these, these signs to say, when you see this, you ought to know that it's getting close. You might not know exactly when it's going to come, but you ought to be able to look around and, and, and know these things and understand and see that these things are coming upon you. He gives severe warnings about the many, many false prophets. You see, here's the thing, folks. If we have a hope and a prayer, it's not even that we understand everything in this book and how it works, but that we accept it. And that's what I'm saying to you. We may not even at the end of this fully understand. And I, matter of fact, I'm confident that we won't fully understand everything that there is to know about heaven and hell. But we accept it. And what I'm trying to give to you is not what I think and not what anybody else tries to explain away, but what does God say? And the first thing that we have to pin down is that it is a real place. There's only two real places that everybody's going to spend eternity. And this is one of them. He speaks of the many false prophets that will come and try to, to teach the wrong things. He goes in to teach about the, the rise of the, the, the Antichrist and the, and the great tribulation period that's going to be faced on this earth and some of the things that, that people will go through during those times. But then he turns his attention to the latter days of that second coming. Now this is all wonderful, exciting teaching. But it's that latter days of the second coming, his own coming to this earth, that we want to pick up because that's where our focus is here. In Matthew chapter 24, notice what he says in verse 27 and 28. He says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west. How many of you have ever seen a, a real lightning thunderstorm when the lightning flashes and I mean it's like that that big pop and it's that bright light that just shines we don't get as many of those real vivid ones here is when you go back to like where I come from where you got those really hot climates man you get some real loud thunder and you get some phenomenal lightning flashes <laughs> I remember that one of our <laughs> ladies that went from here Jane that went to the States I remember her telling me about the first time that she was in one of those really powerful electric storms and, and she saw one of these power boxes on the pole suddenly explode and all this stuff, you know. She said, I never, she, I've stopped. I was just, I was afraid to move. I was afraid to go anywhere. But what he's giving us this picture here of this lightning that even though it maybe flashes way over there, you see it way over there, it just lights up the whole sky. He says, as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even of the west, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. I want you to grasp that what he's talking about here is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How unexpected that it's going to be. But it's going to be an event. And you see, 
The next carries on from his second coming to the earth, which, of course, in fact, is at the end of the tribulation period. We see the judgment that takes place there. He goes on, he picks up in verse 29. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. He's talking about the end of the great tribulation. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah there were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Just as sudden, Noah preached for 120 years, but they wouldn't listen to him. They didn't believe it. This was too, this was too unreal. Water coming out of the sky? <laughs> this guy's wacko building a boat in the middle of dry land. Why are they going to listen to this guy? Sometimes, don't worry. They think we're just as wacko. They think we're talking stuff that makes no sense whatsoever because they're looking at it solely from the physical realm. But he's saying, just like it was then, they didn't believe anything, but suddenly the rains came and the door was shut. There was no more hope after that. Then shall two be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily, I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, 
The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he's not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, which we've already seen where the hypocrites were in Gehenna, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible is making this picture that none of us know when the Lord's coming back. None of us know when our last chance. He said, hey, you know, the guy would be ready if he knew when the thief was going to break into his house. He'd be there ready for him. But he doesn't know. He said, you ought to be able to look at the signs and know it's near and, and know it's close. But you've got to be ready. Because you don't know what hour that he's going to come. You've got to be ready. But those that are not, he says, shall be cut asunder. They'll be appointed their portion with the hypocrites in Gehenna. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The next chapter, chapter 25, begins with, with two parables about the kingdom of heaven and whether, whether we'll enter into the kingdom or not. And again, we're shown that there are only two options. Heaven, this other awful place that he's describing. Verses 1 through 13, they give us the parable of the ten virgins and the importance of being ready because when the bridegroom comes to collect his bride, if we're not ready, the door is going to be shut. If you're not ready for his coming, there is no more time to prepare. There's no more opportunity. Those that weren't ready, they came back. Oh, we want to be in. We want... It's too late. He said, you've got to be ready when he comes. Because once he comes, there's no more opportunity. Verses 14 to 30 record Christ's teaching using the parable of, of the talents, using what God has given us, that which he has given us responsibility and accountability for, and that includes the word, the knowledge, the truth, as well as anything else that God's given you. The Lord gives according to their ability as he gives those talents. When the master returns, he rewards the first two that had used what they were given and had actually brought an increase. But when he comes to the third, he'd done nothing what God had given. He'd been given, but he'd done absolutely nothing with it. He was responsible and accountable to whomsoever much is given, much is required. And thus we read the judgment that's passed on the one that did not use. There are many, many, many people today, folks, they've been given the truth. They've been given the greatest gift, the offer of the greatest treasure that ever is in Jesus Christ. But they're not doing anything with it. He says here in verse 28, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. Verse 30, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We still have the outer darkness. We still have the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Now, in verse 31, Jesus, having used these parables to teach, he turns again specifically, prophetically, about his return and some of the specific things, just as he did with the other parables that we looked at. This is the story. This is how it applies. 
He says in verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I like the way the preacher said, you know, we saw that Jesus went to prepare a place for you. Well, that wasn't because he had to get his hammer and his nails and and, and start begging and, and building you a house up in heaven. Hey, heaven's been prepared from the foundation. It's always been there. The preparation's got to be in you, in your heart, in getting you ready. But Jesus has prepared a place, named a place just for you. It's there, and it's waiting for you. They inherit the kingdom that was prepared from the foundation of the world. He says, for I was in hunger and you gave me meat. These are not the things that made them gods, but these are the signs that came from those that were truly Christ-like. He said, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. You see, there's something bad wrong. And somebody says they've got Christ and they're <laughs> they got Christ in their hearts, and yet there's no outer fruit from it. There's no action. He's not saying that you're going to heaven because you did these things. <laughs> As he separates them, these on the right hand, we're going to know the, by the fruit. These are the things that they have done because they had Christ. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. One of the greatest ways that we can serve God, that we can show God's love, is that which we do for others in this life. That's not what's going to save us. But he cares. He has compassion. He wants that fruit to show through each and every one of us. He says, Then shall he say also unto them, verse 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me. Ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. We'll come back to that, but I want you to remember something. Yohanna was not prepared because God wants you there. Yohanna was prepared because that which is not of God is of Satan. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. If you go there, it's because you're choosing to go there with him because it was a place that was prepared for him. It is where he will spend eternity, and it's where everyone that is part of his kingdom will be there with him because it will no longer be able to affect and destroy God's family and God's people. It'll be put away forever. He says, for there, their lives were very different. I was in hunger, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. 
Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. There's only two abodes. There's only two places. These have all been divided on the right hand and on the left hand. All those on the right, they're going to this place where there's life eternal. All those on the left hand, this place of everlasting punishment. I want to say this to you in closing this morning. These are just, these are just the passages. Jesus, now, all of God's Word is God's Word. Everything in the Bible is just as inspired as the other. But I'm saying of all God's people and all God's teachings and everything that He gave us, even through the Word of God, everything that we've looked at here is Jesus specifically teaching on the eternities and the two eternal abodes. One is the kingdom of heaven. The other is the kingdom of Satan. One, for everlasting life. One, of everlasting punishment, torment. We'll come back to some of those things, but folks, we've got to recognize this is what Jesus taught. Now, hopefully you can come to understand it more if you're struggling with some of it. It's never meant to be nice. He never meant it. He wants them to understand how different that the two eternal abodes are. If you want to go with the devil and his angels, or do you want to go with God and his angels? There's no other places. And these are the way he describes it. And it's vital. It's vital as we go through this and try to grasp a better understanding. Folks, there's only one way that hell is not real. Whether you're talking about Sheol or Tardis or Hades or Gehenna, it's a real place. And it's so real that in Jesus' three and a half years of public ministry on this earth, he spent a lot of time teaching us about what's beyond this life. And there's never, ever, ever anywhere any teaching other than that there are two eternal abodes, heaven and hell. We'll come back and we'll look at some more things. But I want to encourage you this morning, folks, <laughs> you're a child of God. You can shout and praise God because there is an option and you know where you're going and you know that you have been one of those that has accepted the truth and know that truth and you know that all those that have gone on before you, that's where they are and that's where you're going to go see them and you're going to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Thank God. You don't have to worry about that other place. But you better be conscious of it. Jesus wanted you to be conscious of it. Not just for you, but for all those around us. Where are they going to spend eternity? Maybe, maybe it's time that we start caring about where people are spending eternity as much as he cares. Maybe we'd spend more of our life serving him, trying 
to get that invitation to each and every one of them that he wants them to have. Maybe we spend more time on our knees praying, God, help me. These are people I care about. I don't want them to spend an eternity with the devil instead of with the Lord. I don't want them. We don't know everything there is to know, but we know that Jesus Christ used the most God-awful place that this earth knew to describe what it's going to be like. And we know that as he talks about it, we'll see some other descriptions, but we know already. We know that as he describes it here, it's this place of outer darkness, a burning furnace where the fires never cease, a place where that it's a place where that they literally there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's not a nice place. But Satan's not a nice person. That's where he wants to take people, not where God. The devil wants to take everybody he can with him. But let us determine in our hearts to do everything we can to tell everybody that we possibly can how they can get to the other eternal abiding place. Father, thank you this morning. Lord, as we continue on this difficult, heart-wrenching sometimes subject. But, Lord, it's important that we know the truth because there are many, just as, just as in this reading here today, Lord, in the Olivet Discord, you warned about all these, these false prophets that would come leading right up to the, to the greatest false prophet of all, the Antichrist himself. Lord, there are many people that will try to teach a lot of different things, but, Lord, help us. We're just trying to read your word and understand from your word what you're telling us about it. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord. It's not, uh, it's not fancy. It's just, it's just the sheer truth that you've shared with us. So help us as we continue to search the Scriptures. Help us to have a healthy and a correct understanding of the two eternal abiding places beyond this life. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know with absolute certainty, Lord, you tell us we don't know. If we refuse, there may not be another opportunity. Maybe today's the day. Maybe that's why they're here today. They need to make sure that their place is reserved in heaven. They need to make sure that their sin problem has been dealt with. These things we ask in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. Amen.